0: And you can become part of our Discord community. Learn more about the show and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com.
1: So thank you everybody for downloading and listening to the Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I feel like I haven't talked to you in a long time. It has been a while. Uh, since we record a little bit out of uh, a little bit ahead, we skipped a week. Because uh, I, was, I was sick. I wonder if I, we remember how to actually do this this show.
0: I don't know. I guess we'll find out.
1: I know. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about the movie. Uh, but well, first, so, we, so we... last. Oh. Go ahead. No, do your <laughs> teaser. This is a good teaser. I like when you do this. Do this. It's, do the it's not a teaser. It's not oh. a teaser. Don't or maybe do... it is.
0: I don't know. So, I was curious, though, since you were sick, did you have a chance to lay down and watch extra films while uh, you were? Feeling, uh, miserable
1: oh, for as crying. I did <laughs> 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 for <laughs> crying out loud. too I, miserable. No, I was, uh, I was not too miserable. Let me bring up my, uh, let me bring up my iTunes. I saw, um, I saw a couple, uh, hang on a second. See, I, I don't know. You go first. Cause it's going to take me a second to look at my list. Well, I saw, uh, I, you know, playing, um, Oscar prep catch up. Yeah. So I watched the help. Oh, I'm so glad you posted on Facebook about the help. And I, yeah. if 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 memory serves, your post uh, may have changed your prediction. Um, did it? I don't. Or think your so. favorite? You still think you? You? I can't remember. Did you say Viola? Yeah, that's who I picked. on That's her who you show. picked, even yeah. though you hadn't uh, you even hadn't seen hadn't the seen seen movie. It.
0: Yeah, I just I'm I felt like she's getting good buzz and.
1: And so now you've know. seen it and you actually stand by that prediction.
0: I do. I feel, you know, she was a a powerhouse in that film. And, and uh, again, of the performances that I've seen, um, you know, I, I still haven't seen My Week with Marilyn or Albert Nobbs.
1: Albert Nobbs. Yes. Yeah.
0: But I have a sense that those two aren't going to be the competition that Meryl Streep will be.
1: Yeah. So. I, I, uh, okay. What else did you see?
0: Um, I saw that and I've, I'm halfway through tree of life. I haven't quite managed to finish that one (laughs) halfway through. Um, and not because I, I'm not enjoying it, but really, just because you know the way life <laughs> unfolds is yeah. watching these things in in short increments. Sometimes is the only way. Did you so see? I, did
1: you see Brad Pitt on uh, a Daily Show? You watched a Daily Show. Did I ask? you? I've asked you this before. I know
0: you have, and I don't regularly watch. Well, he
1: it. was he was on the Daily Show, and John Stewart. You know, he was there to talk about Moneyball, and but John Stewart opened with, <laughs> "What the hell was Tree of Life about?" <laughs> and his response was, "Let's talk about Moneyball." <laughs> yeah, was That's yeah, was nice. That was I, funny. funny. I, you know, I, I'll, sadly, I did not uh, make any progress on my Oscar catch up, and that that I think is going to be this week, and it's going to have to be this week. And next, uh, I did see, however, Cowboys and Aliens oh john favreau there's no new... no stop <laughs> i like this movie i i had a great time at this movie and i thought daniel craig did a good job i think you're the one person who liked it I, it makes me sad because i think it has it's it's based on a it's based on a graphic novel right the, um i believe yeah. and that has a dumb title um and it's I, a cute I, title. It, it's 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 yeah. designed to be
0: cute, yeah. and and if you interpret it as dumb, it it's very could very well could it, be just just a dumb title. It's I think just, it,
1: it colors it colors the, your impression of the movie. But in general, I actually uh, I actually uh, thought it was fun to watch. I didn't maybe I didn't go into it with very high expectations, but I enjoyed it. I did not like Harrison uh, Ford.
0: Well, I don't I don't think I've liked Harrison Ford in at least a decade and a half. <laughs> I think that. He hit a point where all of a sudden he just turned into Grumpy Man, and yeah. that's he does now is play Mr. Grumpy. Yeah,
1: Mr. Grumpy.
0: That's right. Yeah. I think yeah. you should start getting credited as that. As
1: Mr. Grumpy. Mr. Yeah. Grumpy Pants. I think
0: it was about when he, he, he kind of, he left the Jack Ryan roles. That was unfortunate. And, and then he became president by, uh, what was it, Air Force Air One. Air Force One, yeah. And yeah. after that, I don't think he's done anything good.
1: Yeah, I'd be
0: wow. hard pressed to say something good that he's done after. Was that '97 when that came out?
1: Boy, I that's could a be good wrong. point. I don't know. I'd have to look at the list, but I can't. I certainly can't think of anything. And I still see Air Force One as like one of his most recent movies. That and <laughs> Cowboys and Aliens. Really? Yeah, that's funny. Uh, Air I, Force One is so old. You know, I'll tell you why. I also uh, what I also did was I, I finished in my in my illness. I finished. Mm-hmm all of the um Swedish girl hmm. movies. Did you finish the books or did you I just... finished the books. I I watched them Excellent. I read them, then watched them. Nice. Nice. And uh I you know, I think the second one um was probably the real standout to me. That's I think. the one you like the best. yeah right? I think the third one the third one I think was the best book. Um for for me that was the one I j ju- it was just the, the mo it, it just got progressively better. Uh, although the second and third book really are really one book. I mean, it's one sort of thousand page book that I feel like I couldn't stop.
0: Yeah. The second and third, it really was kind of like a Lord of the Rings sort of thing. Yeah, truly. It feels like I'd love it to, I'd love them when they make it here to shoot it as one big. Yeah.
1: They've got to, I mean, it just seems like, like such a natural fit, but uh, the third movie I think departed enough from the book and I think had so much material to cover in the book Mm-hmm. uh that i think it just really suffered and and you could feel mm-hmm. it you could feel it just wasn't quite there um but in general i really liked it and i it, i by the end of it you know after reading all the books and seeing all the movies and and then the and the, the dragon tattoo twice uh you know i was exhausted yeah I bet. Ay, it's
0: tiring mm-hmm. you, you really really dug deep into that uh Man, that the dark universe and dirty world <laughs> seriously
1: that guy is uh Stieg Larsson, he's dark. Yeah. He is dark. Well, Um, he had some demons
0: he was dealing with. Certainly he did.
1: Uh, Can we talk about trailers? Yeah, there have been
0: a couple big trailers that have come out.
1: Good trailers. Uh, We had, well, first of all, all the trailers that were, and now I guess when people are hearing this, it will be last week, a week and a half ago. uh, We saw the extended trailer for uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you're feeling about that now. Okay.
0: Well, at least they didn't once use that uh, first person POV of him climbing up the walls, which just reeked of you know trying to look like a video game. Yeah, it's a video game. Right. It was horrendous. Um, there's things I like about it. There's things I don't. Uh, the the more I w- I just watched the trailer again before we started. I you know I as much as I. Like Andrew Garfield, just like hearing his voice in the Spider-Man costume, I'm like, oh, he just doesn't quite sound right. I don't quite buy it. I'm not sure. Uh, that's, my, I, that's my problem, too. But I do like that he, you know, he's kind of very science minded, like the actual, you know, the spider, um, the web material. Yeah, the web goes, shooters. Where do you, where do you yeah. stand on that? Uh, I, I, I mean, I never had a problem that they made them. Like organic, of, yeah, organic, whatever you want to call it. In the first um, trilogy, I, I, that never bothered me. However, I really like that they're going back to doing it the old-fashioned way. How Peter Parker did it in the comic books, where he actually built these little things that made this web web material. I think that's pretty slick. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's pretty slick, and I like the gadgetry that they actually show off in the trailer. You actually get some good close-ups of the web shooters that are yeah. that are cool.
0: I. I've always thought the lizard was a great villain, but um, – and you only – to be fair, you only see a couple very short shots of him in the trailer. Uh, I think only maybe two full body shots and um, I, I think he looks ridiculous. I'm hoping that he ends up looking a lot better. Oh, I was just like, oh, that's the lizard. Like the cl- I got excited when I saw like the close-up of the lizard eye and the hand and stuff like that. Right. And then you see them up on top of the tower, and I'm like, "Oh, he looks kind of like, you know, the the weird half human, half alien mutant baby in alien resurrection." <laughs> that's all I could think of yeah. was that like weird alien thing. He just looked all awkward.
1: Yeah. All I right. Know. I yeah, I agree. I, those are the that that's the, the problem I'm having. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how they play some of the family story. Yeah. Um, uh, You know, are we going to see Uncle Ben, uh, you know, it appears to me that we're not going to see a lot of origin story, but I I don't know. I mean, it, it would be sad if they retold the origin story again.
0: Yeah, I don't know what to expect. I mean, I know they're, instead of focusing on the loss of Uncle Ben, this one, they're kind of Looking at a kid growing up without his parents, yeah, and is an interesting twist. And
1: and to cast character or cast actors like Sally Field and um, uh, Martin Martin Sheen Sheen as Uncle Ben and Aunt May, yeah, uh, it it would be a shame for those characters to be here for you know Martin Sheen to be killed off. I think in a movie like this, I'd be, I'd I'd like to see that role kind of fleshed out. They you know they'll obviously have to. Shift around a bunch of timeline to make that happen. I, I don't know how they're going to play with that. Uh, the other one is we we aren't going to see much J. Jonah Jameson. It looks like, uh, which is no, a, it looks a like pretty a significant role that is uh, kind yeah. of missing. And instead, that the kind of um, anti uh, the cru- a- anti Spider Man crusader uh, uh, is Chief, Chief Tracy uh, Gwen St- or Chief Stacy Gwen Stacy's yeah. father. Yeah, um, and so that'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of interesting things. I just, I don't know what to think of really.
1: So a lot revealed in this one. The other one that was, uh, you know, I don't know how much we actually learned, but uh, certainly entertaining was the Avengers extended, uh, extended trailer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where do you you stand on the Avengers?
0: Not having ever followed any of those superheroes ever in the world of comics. um, I've been enjoying the movies. So I'm, uh, except for Captain America, which I thought was the worst of the lot. I'm
1: sorry uh, to hear you say that. I thought it
0: was a snoozer. I I thought it was fantastic. uh, A lot of people did. I think my wife and I were some of the only ones who didn't like it. Well, it
1: it was the only one uh, that they actually, you know, uh, it, it felt like they took the character a little bit more seriously. And it was out of tone with the rest of the comic book movies. Like, it wasn't you know. even that. I just felt like I'm following this
0: guy who doesn't grow at all. Like, you know, he is this hero. And then I just watch him fighting Nazis for you know, <laughs> two hours. And I'm like, okay, when <sighs> is something
1: going to happen here? I don't know. I just, That's funny. Like, well, uh, I... However, I... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, I was just going to say one of the things I, I'm liking out of the trailer is, is seeing the integration of these characters that have had their own movies so far, at least the clips that we've seen... Uh, you know, it, it feels like, uh, you know, the, the Joss Whedon ness of it is, is really kind of coming through. And these, these characters are, they're looking good together on screen. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Uh, That, that, that bit that just floors my kids when Loki says, I have an army and uh, Tony Stark turns around and says, we have a Hulk. My, oh, see,
0: I, I think that's the worst. Oh my God, my son,
1: day. my son goes into fits of spitting hysterics when he see that, when he says that. Of course, <laughs> really? my son is five. Yeah. Yes,
0: yes. That is funny. That is funny. You know, what's great about, um, about that is, uh, is Loki is, uh, he's, uh, what's his name? The actor. I got to look it up now. He's, um, he popped up in. Quite a number of movies. Well, I think maybe just three movies last year. Um, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. And he wasn't, he's not like a very big actor or anything, but he just did these roles. And I was like, God, he's a really good guy. He kind of, he kept looking really familiar to me. So I looked him up. He was in Thor as Loki and right. obviously now the Avengers. Right. He was in Warhorse as as uh, Captain Nichols. The British captain that right. first takes the horse and is doing the sketches of it and everything. And he was in Midnight in Paris as F. Scott Fitzgerald.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't make that connection at all.
0: I know. I was like, I kept seeing that face. I'm like, God, that guy is so familiar.
1: That's wow. the that guy. Very busy year last year. So no uh kudos to him. Well, and speaking of people who've just sort of come out of come out of nowhere over the last 15 years. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeremy Renner. Oh yeah. Uh, Born another trailer, yeah. Born Legacy. Right. This one really surprised me. I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm a huge fan of what they did with the Born series. Yeah, so am I. Uh, and I'm I, this one surprised me. I w- as soon as I saw the the uh, that the trailer was coming, I didn't want to like it, uh, because I felt like they were betraying. Uh, the series but i but the, the trailer looks really good and there is a dude right there in the renner who is you know also in the avengers uh as yep. uh hawkeye. hawkeye um it looks great yeah it looks does like it's going to be a great film
0: and something that i really like with those films is how they've really very tightly tied them all together and yeah. uh, made it a really interesting story in the way that it unfolds. And like if you look at the cast, because you don't see all of them in the trailer. But if you look at the cast of everybody who's in The Born Legacy, I mean, it's got Joan Allen. It's got oh, yeah. uh, David Strathairn. It's got, you know, all these faces that we've seen through the first three movies that really kind of just almost like you're looking at the whole you know, the first three movies in kind of a slightly different twist. So well,
1: I, it's I, awesome. I hope that's how it comes off and not, oh, man, aren't we lucky we got all these people so that we could shoehorn in a different born. You know, I mean, it could it really uh, could be thin. I don't
0: you know, Tony Gilroy is behind it. He was behind the first three. He didn't direct the first three, but he kind of wrote and produced, I think. Yeah. Um. Now he's writing and directing this one and i've got some uh a lot of confidence in him you know he he did michael clayton yeah which was and, terrific yeah and yeah. duplicity which i love oh i I'm love really... duplicity no yeah so annoying. i i think he's a fantastic filmmaker and yeah. storyteller so i am keeping my hopes high for the born legacy
1: all right i have two uh, and I'll let, i swear i'll let it go um uh, and we can talk about the movie tonight, but two small screen things to talk about. The first one is just a a celebration. Mm -hmm. Finally, after months, The Walking Dead comes, is back. Uh, By (laughs) by the time people listen to this, The Walking Dead will have been back by one episode. And man, I cannot wait to see this episode. It was so such, it's been such a long, dry hiatus. Uh, Uh, But I have, I have managed to read every edition of the comic. Over oh, the last nice. two months. So I'm totally caught up. They cannot surprise me now.
0: Now, do they stay pretty close to the comics, or is it uh, kind of all over the place? No, do they it's, use the comic all, just yeah, as a they, foundation? It's a foundation.
1: The first, actually, the first couple of episodes of the first season uh, were really close to the comic, and and then, uh, you know, I, I guess with a some some you know fairly significant character shifts it was very close uh and now it's uh you know they're just it feels like they're just pulling elements from various places and i mean the comic's been around it's, it's like 95 comics uh in the series mm. so far so it's been around a long time um and uh so they have a lot of material to pull from some things yeah. I, that I'm finding myself really hoping they do now. I'm in that camp. Like I, I really am a cheerleader for a few plot uh, sort of devices and storylines that I hope they take on. It had a first. the The first half of the first season was tough, or the second season. I'm sorry, it was tough. It it got really slow pretty fast, and uh, and there were it was it was pretty dry uh, for three or four weeks, and and then finally the the um, you know the mid season finale was a stunner. Huh. Um, uh, but the other show that I just discovered and I have to share because I am totally addicted to it. Uh, it is a BBC, I think it's BBC four show that I'd found on Hulu, uh, Hulu plus it's through who the, it, through their contract, uh, under Hulu presents, uh, and it's called misfits and it is, uh, it's a superhero show, uh, like, few that i have seen uh it's about uh 5 um moderate ex cons uh, who are out of, you know, jail. They're, they have no jail time, but they have to do community service uh, in this, you know, little, very gray British town. And they go to this community center to scrape, uh, you know, to scrape graffiti off of walls. And a storm hits, a hailstorm, where hail, uh, you know, hail the size of bowling balls hit the the ground, and they all get struck by lightning, and they get powers. And they're weird powers. Uh, and it turns out people <laughs> all over town have gotten powers. You know, one guy you discover is can can turn invisible, but he can't control it, so sometimes he just disappears. Uh, one guy is immortal, but he only discovers it after he's killed and wakes up buried in a in a coffin. Um, <laughs> uh, one uh, one guy can go back in time or can can you know reverse time for a few seconds. I mean, they all have these these powers. And over the course of three seasons, three short seasons, each season's about seven episodes. Right. They go through this crazy, like time travel timeline, and I mean this incredible, uh, and incredibly complex and dense storyline over the course of you know f- twenty three episodes that uh, I am just riveted by it. And I'm uh, you know even through some um, you know really difficult character or, or actor cast changes they just nail it and it's uh it's wonderful to watch foul 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 british mouths <laughs> and uh those british and and there's a lot of sex there's a lot of they get away with everything on tv in in the uk seriously i yeah. it's foul and sexy but great great television so uh totally huh. if you're yeah just a, I really enjoy uh enjoy this I'll have to
0: check that one out. It's not uh, available on mit- on Netflix. So no. To...
1: No, it is a I think it's an exclusive contract through Hulu. I see. I see. Uh, so, anyway, interesting. All right, so let's do this movie thing.
0: Yeah, so I guess uh, we should talk about a movie since that's why we are here this evening. Indeed. A...
1: What, uh, have you ever uh have you ever been in a fight?
0: <laughs> I've never been in a fight. I've never had fisticuffs
1: you've never never had fisticuffs no i uh I had an opportunity to be in a fight yeah in uh the second grade uh with a kid named Joey. uh-huh and I think I ended up uh there was a big circle around us, and I pushed him and then I slapped him and then <laughs> I think I started crying and ran behind the gym <laughs> I, <laughs> I still carry that around. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. So now, so now you can say, "Yeah, I've been in a
1: fight. I've been in a fight. I slapped Joey on the playground in seventh grade.
0: I thought it was second grade.
1: Uh, second Seven. grade, second grade. No, it was God. No, it was not seventh grade. No. And you went
0: and cried by the gym. Uh, oh, yeah. It was terrible. It was a terrible thing. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah.
1: So no, I never read this movie. This uh, maybe that experience is is part and partial to why I love this movie so much.
0: I just, I, I just love it because it, uh, it I, I don't know. I guess in a way you could say it's subversive, but it, it really was more just connecting with a um, kind of a mindset that people had in the late '90s. That I don't know. It just seemed to be um, really digging into, you know, our place in society, and you know, as, as in, like, you know post-college, try-to-figure-your-life-out sort of people.
1: You know what's interesting? It's just connected. I don't know. know What's interesting about this movie, have we said we're talking about Fight Club yet? I don't know. Maybe I thought thought we were talking about uh, uh, Emma. (laughs) We are indeed talking about Fight Club, the uh, 1999 David Fincher uh, film. This was uh, Fincher's, okay, catch me on this, third, Mm -mm. second? Fourth. Fourth major film?
0: Mm-hmm. 1999. 1999. A fantastic year for film, as we've talked about before in our "Being John Malkovich" episode.
1: Oh yeah, right. It
0: was a very, very big year for for fantastic movies. Uh, Magnolia, Three Kings. What else came out that year? The Matrix. Um, a lot. Oh, I'm a lot. On other ones right now.
1: It was a it was a big year. And this movie, uh, you know, I want to read a passage uh, from uh, His Highness uh, Roger Ebert. Mm. Yeah, he wasn't a huge fan of it. He was not uh, a huge fan. But uh, I I think this passage is, is interesting. Uh, Fight Club is the most frankly and cheerfully fascist big star movie since Death Wish, a celebration of violence in which the heroes write themselves a license to drink, smoke, screw, and beat one another up. Sometimes, for variety, they beat up themselves. It's macho porn, the sex movie Hollywood has been moving toward for years, in which eroticism between the sexes is replaced by all-guy locker room fights. Women who have had a lifetime of practice at dealing with the little boy posturing will instinctively see through it, Men may get off on the testosterone rush. The fact that it is very well made and has a great first act certainly clouds the issue.
0: Hmm. I always remembered his opinion about it, how the first act he thought was so unique and original and he had never seen anything like it before. And then it just kind of, you know, almost seemed to digress into this just fighting and and this fascist nonsense that he didn't like at all.
1: Right. What do you uh so so walk through the the premise of the movie what do you uh, what is the movie doing and what do you, what would you say this film is really about?
0: Um what is the movie doing? Well, I I mean we're looking at a story about a an unnamed narrator, a a person who for all intents and purposes in the film, I guess we call him Jack, Um, you know, who he is one of the people who represents a person in society who feels like he followed the right path and did everything right and is in a place where he's just completely unhappy and he doesn't know how to change that. And I think what the film is doing is really, looking at that sort of person and, uh, finding a way to get that person out of their rut or, or have that person figure it out. You know, what, what is it that I need to, to do something different with my life? It's, it's, it's a really interesting film in that it's, it's in, in some sense of, uh, when you look at a film for its themes and the way it can be interpreted and what it's saying in some sense, this film almost seems like um, in a weird way the deepest of fincher's films.
1: Why do you say that
0: it, it There's just so much going on about looking at you know a a person in society like this archetype of this this guy who just doesn't know where he's going in life and trying to find a way through that. And, you know, he becomes this, well, he, he finds this other person who has this idealistic vision of the world and, and who uh, it's a dark idealism, I guess you could say, but it's, it's anti everything, anti advertising, anti everything that the, that society told you you needed to do and finding a way to live for yourself really you know it's this whole thing where nobody wants to um nobody wants to fail everybody just kind of wants to go through life and just you know hit the points they're supposed to hit and and they get all the little check marks on their on their scorecard so that by the end they get all those check marks filled up and then they can uh, die knowing they successfully got all their check marks filled without really ever experiencing anything important, which I think is why fight club or the fighting in the film ends up becoming the, the outlet for these people to finally find a way to feel something again. And it's, it's, it's just a very interesting look at the mindset of people and society and this particular person who is kind of undergoing a um psychological split and breakdown and uh and everything it just seems like there's a lot more going on in this film than uh the later films i think or even the earlier films it's not as definable in a genre film like um 7 uh benjamin button social network. Mm-hmm. I mean they're mm-hmm. all fantastic films, but you know, they're they're telling a great story. They tell it really really well. Um and there's definitely look at at you know different psychological elements and everything, but this one really is tapping into something a little deeper, I think.
1: You know, what I what I find so fascinating, I really I really like that comment because it seems like this film more than those others is taking a stab at a much more pointed cultural reflection. That that you know fincher and uh, uh chuck uh, uh originally Politic. chuck pelanic uh were you know were making a statement uh that they are artfully trying to get across and trying to to sway you in some way that these other films uh, in fincher's catalog do not they're telling a story this one is really saying you need to step back and and look at consider this film a mirror we're showing you something here and we're doing it in you know in what you know our version of vaudeville and it's going to be disturbing and it's going to be horrifying and that's just our way to make a point with a great big period at the end of it but it's still a reflection that we want you to look at something, and that's one of the reasons it feels like this film was such a risk, and and why in you know my understanding, executives, uh, studio executives did not uh, did not like this movie, and and why it it received such uh, sort of polarized uh, feedback.
0: Definitely, yeah, it really did.
1: Fincher uh, actually has an interesting quote uh, that is actually a cutaway on the Wikipedia page, but I think is really a, a good one that. That supports this, he says. Here, we are designed to be hunters, and we're in a society of shopping. There's nothing to kill anymore. There's nothing to fight. Nothing to overcome. Nothing to explore. In that societal emasculation, this everyman, the narrator, is created. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, that says it. And, you know, it's funny that this came out in 1999. Shortly thereafter, um, uh, the uh, another terrific. Uh, adaptation from the Bret Easton Alice book *American Psycho* came out with uh, uh, starring Christian Bale.
0: That, yeah, uh, fantastic film. It
1: was a fantastic film, and it it really those two films really hit on uh, mm-hmm. a, the that very similar sort of celebration. Uh, it, in *American Psycho*'s case, it was a celebration of consumerism, right? Mm-hmm. A, a celebration of uh, uh, of the show, and in uh, in contrast, *Fight Club* is really the destruction of the show. What can we do? To to break it down because we see that that in but the outcome in both of these films is the same we cannot exist healthily in this environment
0: yeah and you know i think that's another reason why this film is so interesting because if you take a step back and just look at it as a movie which i think is a reason a lot of critics really didn't like it because they felt like This film is doing nothing like Ebert said, you know, it's nothing than, you know, portraying this fascist society and it's it's just, you know, glorifying violence and all this stuff. And I I think if you step into it and look at really what the story is saying, it's not glorifying violence at all. It is really glorifying finding a way to find those feelings again.
1: And yeah, I think yeah. that's
0: why a lot of critics looked at it as, "Oh, this is going to be nothing other than a method for you know the crazies to come out of the woodworks, start creating all these real fight clubs, and it's just gonna it's just gonna make a mess of things." But they're not really seeing what the story is really trying to say, which is a lot deeper.
1: It is, um, you know, I think uh, I think it was one of those. Um, one of the most brilliant kind of executions of that message in this film is the Ikea catalog scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is the scene I remember uh, from this film. And and it's funny when I, when I went back to watch it uh, and, and watch selections of it after that, it's, it, you know, the stuff that stands out to me is, uh, it, it, it is this sort of category of um, structure. You don't remember this scene, this film as a special effects movie. Right. And yet there are an extraordinary number of special effects in this film. Uh, Very
0: well done special effects. uh,
1: Again, uh, illustrating Fincher's uh, real talent at the technology behind filmmaking. Even in the first scene, when you watch the the camera swinging in and out of these cars from the the top of the skyscraper uh, down the barrel of the gun that is in uh, Edward Norton's mouth. Uh, out of the, out of the building, down into the parking garage, into the van to show the nitroglycerin tanks, back out down the block to show it in these other buildings that are down the block. I mean, that is a, that is a, a long at this, you know, totally CG kind of, kind yeah. of environment that you just didn't see, you know, a lot of at this time or it was really just kind of being, you know, foist on us. Uh, and, and I remember seeing Fight Club for the first time. That struck me as, Amazing yeah, that he could do that, and the film is full of of those sorts of things that that fit so beautifully into the context, into the overall visual thread of the film of Fincher's you know at this point still developing vision, that sort of dark high contrast lights and darks um, uh, style it fits so well into that, is so beautifully integrated that you just can get lost in the film, uh, but it was really very novel.
0: Yeah, even the opening credits, which, you know, Fincher always likes having opening credits that really set the stage for the film that you're about to watch. Mm -hmm. And the design for them was fantastic. I mean, first of all, you've got the Dust Brothers music, which really just worked so perfectly for this film. But the idea of starting at almost like a a micron, you know, level of um, inside the fear center of edward norton's right, head right where you're seeing these you know the fear uh, almost like you're looking through an electron microscope as these these little dendrons or whatever are firing and you see like these chemical reactions within the body and then you slowly pull out through the the nerves and the fear center and you're, you're slowly pulling all the way out until you're going through his brain and through his you know the fluid between his brain and his skull and then his skull and then out through the skin through this the sweat gland down his nose. I mean, it's just like an unbelievable uh, opening credit sequence that just totally sets the stage for the film.
1: It is. And it goes from there to, uh, you know, what, let's see, when did the matrix come out?
0: Same year. It came out, this came out in October. The matrix came out, I believe in may
1: the first scene, uh, the, the opening scene, the first time we actually see Edward Norton in his office is that is the matrix look you know it's the guy in the sort of green fluorescent lights and he's just there's a copy machine going and it's just he's in an office and it's terrible and it moves from there very quickly to uh his apartment where he's sitting on the toilet and he's reading the ikea catalog and he's talking about i mean his take on consumerism and everything he is he is doing everything that he exists to pursue is all about catalog shopping and name brands and whenever he refers to shoes whenever he refers to luggage it's always the name brand of the things that he is dealing with uh of the the products um and and you know i mentioned the um uh the ikea scene in particular because it's i don't remember seeing quite such clever use of titles uh until this movie do, do you do, do the title stand out for you on the movies prior to this the game um, oh my
0: oh my goodness yes seven, i don't remember the i the don't remember seven the title sequence when i sat down in the theater in 95 and i saw the titles for that film i was just floored just in the title sequence and i knew i was in for an experience all of the you know you're hearing um kind of a one of the um Alternate tracks of Nine Inch Nails, Closer to God, uh-huh. and you're flipping through these journals, these creepy, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, journals, you know, uh, John Doe journals, and yeah. it's just like the the way that it's cutting and moving and everything. I mean, it was like a real visual treat. And oh. then the game opened up with really haunting, you know, you got those puzzle pieces kind of falling and and floating around, and you've got that old film of uh michael douglas's character when he's looking at uh or you know just kind of his life with his you know past life with his father when he was a kid and his father killed himself
1: wait the you know what i you're absolutely right about the seven uh um titles what i was talking specifically about the, the the element of the titles that sticks out to me here in is in the ikea scene when you actually see the the pricing and the the actual product descriptions as the room builds Oh, that, and like he's that, walking sort of. through it. Right. When he's on the toilet and he starts talking about he's ordering the, the, the dust ruffle and he stands up and it's doing that pan across his room. And you actually are seeing the titles by the products as they fill his right, apartment. right, right. Yeah. I found that so visually compelling, like in that that it's like a five second sweep across his uh, across his apartment that uh, told the whole story. Of what his struggle was going to be in trying to give that up. Because I think, you know, at least for me, my reflection is we're all there. I mean, we look around our, our offices, our apartments, our homes, and there is so much stuff. Uh, how much of that stuff do we touch and need and use every day? This was a guy who existed to pursue this consumer dream at, at its very extreme, and he is about to lose all of it very quickly, and then the real meat of the movie starts, so that's that sort of initial uh setup that I found so powerful i I mentioned the credits only because the panic room opening credits mm-hmm. blew me away, yeah, and it was that same sort of thing where you actually had the title so compellingly in the the three d environment of of physical space in the cityscape of New York. I thought that was really cool um, right. Uh. Not quite so violently dramatic as some of the other ones, but really haunting so anyway yeah, that really that cool. that was like this felt like practice for that i don't know well and the the thing about the that the
0: other thing that makes that work so well, aside from you're right that just the the brilliant use of space and putting those for all intents and purposes as realistically in the environment as you could you know expect um is the use of the the voiceover, mm-hmm. um, telling us, you know, like, you know, about his handcrafted glasses set that, you know, with the the bubbles in the glass. So you knew they were right. uh, made by hand or whatever it is. Uh, you know, just like all that sort of stuff that really lends this uh, comedic bent on everything, even though it has this darkness. And I, and I think that all ties together so well to really bring the, that, um, that whole side of the story out but yeah but you're right i mean the titles the way that they use that in in that particular moment um is i mean it's it's flawless it's just great especially the way edward norton's character is kind of interacting you know he's walking some of them are behind him some of them are in front of him it's good stuff
1: it, it is such good stuff um so the, the the overall premise is he's he can't sleep because he's stuck in this consumer, uh, this consumer, consumer nightmare, hell. this consumer right. hell. So he goes to the doctor, uh, and and I, I certainly don't want to do the scene by scene kind of walkthrough, but I think this the the scene with the doctor is is sort of pivotal, um, a, a, unless I missed something earlier. So he's talking to the doctor and he says, "I want some drugs. I need to be." I need to be put to sleep, uh-huh. uh, and the doctor says, "No, you need you, you know you need some relaxation. You need to you know you need to you need exercise. Exercise. You need yeah. you need to adjust your life, not your biochemistry. You need to go down and he, you know check out these guys with testicular cancer if you want to see people who are in real pain. And yeah. as he is saying that, we we meet. Well, we see Tyler Durden. Yeah." uh what is the uh, what is the importance of our introduction to tyler durden here well
0: it's in a way and when you're saying that for those of you who um don't catch it they they use uh, david fincher used a single frame instances of tyler durden appearing in particular scenes at particular moments um during this initial buildup of the film, where if you're not really aware that it's there, it's it may just look like, you know, a weird smudge or a shadow that kind of crossed the frame. Um it happens, I believe, five or six times, something like that. And it's it's very interesting that you see it here because really this moment, you know, the drug the doctor's not going to give him drugs. If the doctor did give him drugs, that would essentially kind of put that whole Tyler Durden part of of Edward Norton's character to sleep, right? And he would essentially go on living the zombie life that he's already living. Right. By not giving him the drugs and, and uh, telling him, you've got to go see these guys who are suffering, making him have to get through it on his own, that – flash that one tiny frame that we see it's it's essentially like the birth of that part of this person's personality it's i mean it's a really fascinating way to depict that
1: i i i found that too it it's almost as if every time um every time edward norton's character the nameless narrator made a, a um, you know a, a, a sign- was faced with a significant choice in this build up we get to see tyler in a different context
0: yeah and he just kind of uh keeps popping in like once in one of the groups once when he's you know talking to marla um and i know there's a couple others i just not quite, i can't yeah. remember where they are but yeah it's it's a really interesting way to do something like that and that ties in uh, aside from a brilliant way to put that story together Um, it really, again, ties into David Fincher's, um, extreme, extremely, uh, skilled sense and ability to use the right tools to tell a story in a really unique and compelling way that's not, uh, done before, you know,
1: totally, totally. Uh, it's almost like he's using another dimension, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like, uh, time and space and something else it's a fascinating fascinating way to pull this out so he ends up so our character ends up uh kind of discovering himself through these um, through watching other people's loss and other people's pain
0: yeah is that, i mean is he, that
1: how you read this yeah it's i mean it's uh, i mean I, and I think ebert
0: when you know, he was talking about the fantastic first act i definitely think he was right i mean this idea of a person attending support groups and even though he's not you know he doesn't have cancer he doesn't have uh sickle cell anemia whatever he goes to all these support groups he doesn't have any of it but he finds it finally a way to find the release that he has not had this all through his life and that helps him finally fall asleep and he's finally doing better um and it's it's a really fascinating story and actually chuck polinick um uh, talked about uh, his time when he was uh, you know he would work with some uh kind of a um health like volu- he would volunteer with some health organization or something where he would drive people who couldn't drive to these support groups and he would sit there and um uh, you know just kind of listen in and And I don't think he was using it as an emotional release. He was just, he just had to sit through it while he waited for the person. Um, However, he would do their exercises and everything with them. And he said he was doing an exercise and it took him to, they were finding their power animal and he closed his eyes and he found himself in this cave and he found a penguin there that, that t- told him to uh to slide so he t- pulled that directly from his own life and put it into the book which i thought was pretty interesting that's
1: really interesting i uh I, because that that particular scene as he's finding his power animal at that point in the film i don't think you're uh you're yet able to look at uh, edward norton's character with um uh w- with the sort of care that makes you take that discovery seriously yeah you know i mean at that point like oh great it's a it's a penguin right (laughs) good good luck with that man (laughs) you know you could have i don't know i don't know much about power animals so i may be totally (laughs) making fun of somebody's power animal i'm sorry about that
0: that's right man Um, you're cold you are just cold uh sort sort of penguins though
1: chill man just chill Uh, Uh, there's something fishy here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay so Terrible. speaking of awesome helena bonham carter yes she's i just when did you f- awesome I, I, i'm trying to remember when i i uh I, I know when i fell in love with her uh it was actually in a room with a view yeah actually same for me oh my goodness she's just yeah. darling and mm-hmm. then this is this is the naughty side of helena
0: yeah, which she's never left behind. <laughs> I know
1: she pretty much found it, and uh, this, <laughs> that was that. she found her Tyler Durden power animal. That's right, and decided she liked it better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's uh, she's brilliant. What would you say? Uh, I I I love the relationship. This in in so many ways, the sequence of kind of walking through all of these different um, uh, support groups. Uh, her role as a, a fraud, as a tourist in these support groups, sort of mimics uh, the Tyler Durden uh, role for Edward Norton, but in this kind of uh, insulated sort of sequence. If you took just the the segment of the film of the support club journey out and watched it as a short, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's almost like she's she's playing that alter ego. Like she's finding she's also finding her needs being met there uh yeah. but but from a different darker sort of more cynical side free right, coffee
0: right. right right yeah it's and it's very interesting because you know she ends up being the catalyst that that really releases tyler because um edward norton's character finds so much in common with her but for some reason you know feels that he's not He shouldn't connect with it, you know, Mm -hmm. it's too similar. It's too much like himself. Something about it just kind of frightens him. So it almost forces Tyler to pop right out. And uh, that's kind of really the birth of him.
1: You're saying Tyler as the component of him that can connect with her. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, then the movie sort of picks up. What do we where do we go from here? Well, that is where, like, shortly after that,
0: you know, uh, Tyler, he runs in, he meets Tyler on a plane, um, and that essentially is it. You know, by the time um, Edward Norton's character lands, um, he comes back to his apartment and finds that it's been blown up, and he ends up calling Tyler and, uh, they go hang out at a bar and all of a sudden they just, they, they start talking philosophies, life philosophies. Tyler is very anti-material, anti-corporate and, uh, really starts, it, it kind of taps into something with, with, uh, Edward Norton's character. And, uh, they soon after that, um, start fighting and, thus fight club is born
1: that that uh that transition is is really wonderful they as they walk out of the bar and uh y- you know there are lines in this movie that i love you know it's i want you to, i want you to do me a favor yeah whatever i want you to hit me as hard as you can <laughs> i i love that bit i love yeah. that bit uh, know. So, so they start finding fight club is born and then it gets uh, out of hand.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, it's born and it grows. It really just starts growing to this thing. Even though the first two, two rules of fight club, are: you do you not, you, blah, 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 blah. you do not talk about fight club. If I could speak mm-hmm. this evening, it is getting late. Um, but you know, the fight club definitely grows and it, to a point where all of a sudden, uh, um, yeah, they have this huge group of people who are finding this this exhilaration in, in uh, pugilism.
1: Uh, this was, as we said earlier, this was one of the big um, sort of uh, difficult pieces of the film is, uh, is this a film that is glorifying violence? And as you watch them start beating on each other, Uh, what is your impression of the way Fincher handles the actual fighting?
0: Well, in one sense, it all feels very realistic. Um, you know, it just like the, the, the punches, the, the, the falls, the, the sound effects Everything just has a very kind of naturalistic, maybe a little enhanced sort of feel to it. But, um, you know, you're walking, th- watching these guys like walk around um, outside of Fight Club. They're all walking around with, you know, neck braces on and, and bruises and and, you know, big scabs and just none of them look good at all. It does make you wonder, like, is it really worth it, you know, when you're, um, you know, sent to the hospital with a, a broken collarbone? I mean, I don't know. Uh, it, well, it's, the, it's a dark place.
1: The rules of Fight Club, I find it very interesting. Like, if, if, we're, if you're trying to make a case that Fight Club, the film, is about glorifying violence, the, the script itself really, um, you know, contradicts that. All of the rules are set such that uh, y- you will fight, what's the word, safely, mm-hmm. right? You don't talk yeah. about Fight Club, you don't talk about Fight Club. Then, if a fighter taps out, if a fighter is goes limp, if a fighter, I mean, if anything goes wrong, the fight stops for good. It's over. Yeah. And that's the whole purpose is, uh, and when you look at sort of the premise material on um uh, uh, on the film, the violence of the fight club serves not to promote or glorify physical combat for participants to experience feeling in a society where they are otherwise numb. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the premise, and I think that's what what folks who see the movie as a fight movie don't get, or maybe haven't reached.
0: Well, and also because in the context of the film itself, the people involved in the fighting end up taking it beyond that right it goes from fighting and you know it's it's the way that human nature is with anything once you have a little bit you want a little bit more and once you have that then you want a little bit more and so that's i think why the fights get more and more uh, or the injuries sustained get you know bigger and bigger I'm st- uh, and then out of that, all of a sudden, you're you're born into you know these these jobs that Tyler assigns to people, assignments where they have to go, you know, uh, just cause mayhem and mischief, and all the way building up to the end when he, uh, you know, they blow up all the credit card uh, buildings and you know kind of reset everything.
1: I absolutely love that you said that because I think that's the ultimate, uh, and this I I haven't actually seen speculated on elsewhere but it's a connection i made like seconds before i started recording the show tonight that the the project mayhem gets so out of control in the film and the violence is taken to the such an extreme level and this is where such pain exists for who we now know is tyler uh, edward norton's character um, uh, that it is a, the violence is suddenly a direct parallel to the consumerist path that he was on in the beginning. Like, no matter what path you take, there is a way to take it to excess. And that excess is, is almost always going to be uh, not for the cultural good. Yeah. There, there you go. I, that's my, that's, that's my knowledge bomb.
0: I think that's absolutely right. That's, that's absolutely right.
1: One of the reasons I find this film so compelling.
0: And another um, another interesting twist on that, which I think is so interesting, is because this is a scene um, midway through that I think does take it to that extreme place. But in one sense, it also ends up, for a certain person, um, perhaps becoming a defining moment in his own life that may make it a much better life. And that's the moment where they um, pull the gun out, Tyler... Um, takes Raymond K. Hessel out of the gas station, brings him around back and puts the gun to his head Mm -hmm. and, you know, finds out that, you know, Raymond K. Hessel wanted to be a veterinarian and it was too hard and he dropped out of school and now he's just working in a gas station and Tyler, you know, threatens this guy and says, you know, uh, I'm going to check up on you, Raymond K. Hessel, and I'm going to make sure that in, you know, six weeks... Or whatever it is uh, that you're on your way to becoming a veterinarian, otherwise you're going to get killed. And he has this line: "Tomorrow will be the most beautiful day of Raymond K. Hussle's life. His breakfast will taste better than any meal you and I have ever tasted." I mean, it's it's a horribly frightening and violent scene that they um, that Tyler um, perpetrates on this this poor gas station attendant. Um, and that's the that's where the the these levels of the fight club have are progressing and it's really kind of very frightening and dangerous on the flip side of that that's the psychology that makes this so fascinating is he's absolutely right raymond k hessel very likely is going to find a major turning point in his life from this and actually is going to move into becoming a veterinarian and is going to finally become the person that he always wanted to become
1: ends up being one of the most beautiful transformative move- moments of the film yeah uh when you then, when you walk away from it that with that uh that intent yeah. and that's why i
0: think this film is so divisive it has moments like that that are horribly frightening and it's just the sort of situation that nobody should ever be put into but it does uh give that hope for this sort of character so it's i mean it's a really interesting uh psychology in this film
1: um uh, so let's do let's do the numbers shall we Yeah this film didn't do very well Um I mean it's It didn't uh, do terribly though I mean you know the it on on a budget of well it did terribly theatrically All right
0: the budget was um it changed around a few times. I think it ended up being, where is that number, 63 million um, in the theatrical run in the U.S. It mm-hmm. only grossed 37 million. And, uh, and then worldwide, it did a little better. It was 100 million Um, when you add it all together. Right. So all told, I mean, it did make its money back. Um, however, as we always say, you know, when you take marketing and everything else into account, more than likely they didn't make its money back in its uh, theatrical run. However, this film subsequently, um, when it was released on DVD, um, all of a sudden kind of, uh, finally found its audience. Uh, You know, for all intents and purposes, everybody kind of agrees that the studio really, had no idea what to do with Fight Club and they did a horrible job marketing it and it just that's that's i think a large reason why it didn't make any money theatrically it did finally find its audience on DVD um particularly because they released this fantastic uh two disc edition that was great and uh that thing became the uh, like one of the hottest selling DVDs i mean it was it uh really helped them uh make make their money back on this film so in in the end it did make its money back. It just took a long time. It it you know took it becoming kind of a a cult film in order to do that.
1: Mhm. Well, uh, it's unfortunate it didn't have bigger uh, unfortunate though predictable. It didn't I I probably yeah. certainly in hindsight uh that it didn't have a bigger um, screen or box office uh, uh launch uh but boy the film I, I am you know, i guess thirteen years uh and i am stunned at how well the film holds up
0: yeah it really does it really holds up so well
1: it it is just a a treat to to watch and it's a it's a challenging uh, really challenging film uh w- this was let's see where are we in the actual chronology of fincher building the team uh he was working with jeff Cronenweth a cinematographer
0: yeah. Who, uh, this, this was actually, um, he started working with Jeff Cronenweth on this and then he ended up working with him on a few films, but interestingly, he had worked with Jeff Cronenweth's father, um, a number of years before on alien three, his father, of course, who had, uh, worked on uh blade runner. Um, you know, he was, uh, uh, fantastic eye for that. Mm-hmm. However, his uh, his father ended up leaving Alien Three because he had Parkinson's disease. Um, but I think that is uh, perhaps the the path that Fincher took to finding Jeff um uh, pulled from his father Jordan. Um, but yes, so so that was a big one right there. As far as uh-huh. his kind of regulars.
1: Now, uh, the the script I, I skipped the screenwriting. This is this one was interesting to me. I uh, Jim Oles uh, yep, wrote Jim Owls wrote it. Wrote the script, yeah. and I hadn't seen uh, I hadn't made note of any other Jim Oles script that I had seen until I looked him up and discovered that he wrote Jumper. He co wrote Jumper.
0: Yeah so. he he hasn't done
1: a whole lot. So no. this
0: was his I think for all his intents first. and purposes his first credited screenplay yeah
1: uh and uh, then he just he, he was uh, he's only got i think six big films uh well six wow. films two of them big this one and i would say jumper yeah um uh to his credit and then he's he's we aren't seeing a whole lot out of him but uh it was a terrific uh adaptation i think from the chuck um uh, i can't pronounce the, the guy's name polonick 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 yeah polonick yeah, Chuck Polinick. What do you do with the U? There's a U uh, in there.
0: You just pretend it's not there.
1: Polinick. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, and let's see. So, music by the Dust Brothers. Um, uh, editing James Haygood. I don't know yeah. from James Haygood. I don't know from what he's done.
0: Well, uh, Is he? He, uh, he did the game and he did Panic. He worked on Panic Room. All right. Um so he he has worked with uh, Fincher on a few
1: things. Um, any other uh, production uh, uh bits of note?
0: Well, Lore Mayfield, you know, I don't think we've ever talked about Lore Mayfield. She's no. the cast she's the casting director that Fincher has worked with on I think all of his films, I think. Um no, actually I take that back. She started working with him on Fight Club. Uh, but every film since then, so a very good casting director
1: finds all the right people to work with. Oh, uh, so uh, right, that's fantastic! Yeah, she. Um, let's see. Yeah, I. You know, I, I, this was one of those. Uh, really, gosh, this is a film that just sticks with you. Yeah, it's one that that absolutely holds up over time. One I can watch again and again, and and I think this is one of those films I I probably like seven, although I'm I'm anxious to watch it again. Uh, that I think is, is a thrill the first time you see it, and even better the second and third.
0: Yeah, right. Once she... you can start picking up on all the little nuances, I, I think the most fascinating thing to watch subsequently is the relationship with Marla and all the things that he says with her. And when you start realizing that this guy and Tyler Durden are one and the same, you really see this just because initially, the first watch, Marla, you just kind of don't like her at all. And after that, you're just like, oh, this poor woman is. Yes. Yeah. Just... She's totally in the
1: middle uh, of this horrible breakdown.
0: Yeah, with this crazy, crazy guy with just two completely opposite personalities. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, um, you know, we didn't even talk about uh, <laughs> about Meatloaf or Jer- uh, or Jared Leto.
0: Yeah, Jared Leto, who you hardly recognize because he's covered up with Rob Botton's, uh <laughs> effects after he's been brutally beaten.
1: Seriously, yeah. uh, the but the the Meatloaf character is uh, he's he's fantastic.
0: Oh, he's so good.
1: He he's so, so good. good in this yeah. film uh, the way that
0: he's kind of got that high higher pitched voice because he's lost his testicles yeah. to cancer
1: giant breasts yeah uh yeah. and uh, there's this i, I love the scene in the beginning when he pulls edward norton characters to his chest to his bosom his buxom <laughs> bosom and says you can cry now and he pulls him back and i he's not crying i don't believe it's just sweat or something but there's a there's a, a no he, a, i think he's he is crying. crying at that <laughs> point there is the relief of a face between yep. in, in in meatloaf's cleavage <laughs> it's brilliant
0: it is it really is brilliant it's very funny you know what you know what's interesting about this um looking at the history of the film it, which is interesting when the producers who um bought the rights to the book when they first started trying to find the right person to direct it mm-hmm. one of the first people they considered was peter jackson Really? Yeah, they were they considered Peter Jackson, but he was um at the time he was filming The Frighteners and so he was kind of too busy with that. They talked to Brian Singer um out because you know he had had the usual suspects and was a big hit and they talked to Danny Boyle um uh, but he was working on something else and then David Fincher meanwhile had read the book was one of the uh producers had sent it to him and he actively was pursuing it and said I I have to make this film and so um it was a, it was a delicate film to make because it was with 20th century fox and he had had a horrible experience with them on Alien 3 as everybody knows so it, it the first steps were you know kind of the counseling session sitting down with with everybody and and making friends again wow but uh, yeah and then uh continuing the development once Fincher was on board First, they met with Russell Crowe as a possible Tyler Durden, yeah, which is very interesting. And uh, then yeah, finally, could, I think Pitt.
1: he could have pulled it off. Although I think Brad Pitt was was terrific,
0: yeah. And then for the role of uh, the nameless narrator, they really it says the studio desired a quote sexier marquee name, somebody like Matt Damon or Sean Penn. Oh. So, I mean, can you imagine?
1: Well, and and I think the the contrast between those two characters, um, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton was really great. According to Edward Norton, we decided early on that I would starve myself as the film went on while Brad Pitt would lift and go to tanning beds. Mm -hmm. And he becomes more idealized as I wasted away. Mm -hmm. That's it ends up so apparent in the in the fight scene in the the uh the climax of the film as they're running through the through the uh, parking garage edward norton in his underwear and uh you brad pitt now in a fur uh sleeveless fur kind of faux fur coat
0: with a with a t-shirt covered in photos of women from porn films right
1: <laughs> right uh it, it, it ends up being such a the a beautiful climax to this long character journey. I mean, you talk about sort of ev- growth and evolution uh, in a film. To have these two grow so apart uh, after being, uh, you know, so close.
0: Well, it's very important, and I, I, I think having the actors look as opposite as they did really worked. And I don't think it would have worked as well if it was somebody like Matt Damon, who, for all intents and purposes, could very well fall into the Brad Pitt yeah, side of things. he absolutely could More than the Edward Norton side.
1: Right. Although you have to think in 1999, uh, less so. Maybe. He was always well, pretty stocky.
0: Well, but, I, I, you know, if you look at what he did to himself when he did, um, what was that Meg Ryan soldier movie?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Where uh, he practically starved himself yeah. for that role. Oh, no, that's true. I mean, he was frightening looking in that film. So I mean it's doable but yeah. I I think that they
1: cast it perfectly. They really did. This was a this was a terrific film. Any uh, closing closing remarks?
0: Um just a you know last little tidbit that I think is always interesting. Um ever since uh 7 um David Fincher kind of developed a friendship with Andrew Kevin Walker who wrote 7 and he's brought him in to the mix on a number of his films to kind of do some fixes and tweaks and stuff and and he he did some uh some uncredited, you know, assists on this script a little bit and panic room which i don't think we had mentioned. Actually, i take it back. I don't think he did Panic Room. Um gosh, what was it? I don't remember. It definitely was this one though. He he did some some uh adjustments to the script.
1: The the other one that stood out to me was uh Cameron Crowe
0: yeah that uh, that is an interesting one yeah
1: hammer crow of uh oh see now I can't even think about it of the zoo movie <laughs> we bought a zoo. Hey, I have a zoo with Matt Damon. See how uh, it all comes around there. It's all full look, circle. look at my zoo with Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. This is a terrific movie. It's absolutely on the uh, list of movies we like uh and uh, absolutely we're seeing holds up so well thirteen years later. If you haven't picked up the DVD set, uh, watch it. Watch it all. Watch it all twice.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, So much good stuff on it. So
1: much good stuff. Where can people find you, Andy?
0: At The Movie Monkey on Twitter. And I finally, without your help, I did figure out how to uh, do that for Facebook. So (gasps) I I guess I'm facebook.com slash The Movie
1: Monkey. We am checking right right now. Oh. You totally are. Yeah,
0: isn't that exciting? That's
1: fantastic. Well done, sir.
0: Thank you. I was very
1: proud of myself when I had that moment. oh the 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 real problem is that none of my friends are going to actually need me anymore. (laughs) This is why I exist: is to help through. This this is where those options are: is to tell people where these options are. And if you find out all the answers on your by yourself, then I I am suddenly not useful.
0: I, I will, uh, I, I'll leave some of it uncovered so that you're still useful okay. to me. Okay.
1: That would be, that would be great. That sure. Be great. All right.
0: Whatever I can do to help. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, good talk, Andrew. Yes. Oh, uh, are, uh, are, are you going to give us our? Yeah, no, you got to yeah, close you should us find out. Me. Oh, yeah. No, I have. Uh, I have news. You got to find us. Uh, if you haven't, uh, uh, you need to catch up. Uh, uh, with us on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, iPad, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and more on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Don't worry. You can download it for free today at stitcher.com or find it in your app store of choice. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio you can find me personally at pete wright on the twitter or facebook.com slash pete wright or uh, my preference is actually google plus i think it's a nicer playground uh, and just search for me there pete wright and um uh, so that's all my places you can find this show and more at rashpixel.tv uh and uh, i encourage you to subscribe to the show there or in itunes or in stitcher and uh and and listen listen to us We've no, got lots feedback. of
0: episodes now. Leave, leave feedback on iTunes. We want that feedback. Yeah, feedback
1: is good. I know it's an extra step, and it's a, oh, I gotta go, Ty. But really, if you have nice things to say, it sure is nice to hear it.
0: It is, and um, it's great to hear it on Facebook. But it's even, uh, well, it's it's nice. Well, it's way. nice
1: it on Facebook because it or on on uh, iTunes because it actually helps other people who haven't heard the show uh, discover it. And so if. If you think that it's an interesting conversation, we'd love to to hear more from you. That's that's the point. Definitely. So if you've made it this far, we need to do all this conversation at the beginning. I know we do. So by by <laughs> I now, know, people are turning it off. They're like, "All right, they're done talking about the movie." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, it is what it is. I'm going to go subscribe to Barbara Walters on Facebook. She is just popping up when I go to your page. She says people also subscribe to Bar- Barbara Walters. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's a apparently one friend of one friend of mine is uh subscribed and it's a friend who lives in phoenix i'll bet that's why yeah i bet that's why oh facebook you are so smart i know
0: clever oh. clever little faces good talk man likewise you know what i got
1: the other day pete
0: audible.
1: There are so many great adaptations from season one available in audio form.
0: Charlie Kaufman did a crazy adaptation of Susan Orleans' The Orchid Thief, making it a script about him going through the process of adapting it. Crazy, but made for a great film. And I hear the book is great
1: too. Our David Fincher series had some great book adaptations too, like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo or The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Don't forget The Social
0: Network and Zodiac. I could totally listen to those back to back. And lest we forget one of
1: my favorites, Fight Club.
0: Oh, so good. In season one, we also talked about Alan J. Pakula's Paranoia Trilogy, one of which is All the President's Men. Such an amazing story. And we had some adaptations in our baseball series, too. The Natural
1: and Field of Dreams. Both classics. And I loved the books behind the Jason Reitman series, Thank You for Smoking, and Up in the Air. Which do you like better, the book or
0: film version of Thank You for Smoking?
1: You're a terrible person for even asking that. It's Soapy's Choice. <laughs> but
0: seriously, folks, producing this podcast is a lot of fun and takes a lot of time. We've dropped
1: the dynamically inserted
0: ads because they are so annoying and they have no connection to our content.
1: Plus, they just jam those things wherever they see fit.
0: We listened when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support
1: The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible, along with my family, for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to the slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you.
0: So much great material available.
1: Dive in with a free 30-day trial at nextreelcom slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreal.com slash audible.